most languages have a random library. So if you just go into .NET, there's a math.random. You say, I want a number between one and 100, whatever. The problem is it's not really that random. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Development Best Practices Podcast, brought to you by ILM Professional Services. I'm your podcast host, Jason Erdahl, and today we welcome back Robert Bodenheimer, Microsoft MVP, Pluralsight author, and MDC speaker, for our third and final episode in our series on cryptography. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, I'd suggest pausing this one and listening to those previous episodes. And that's enough intro. Here's Robert. So I'm securing my private keys, and this is good, right? Um, so what are the what are the things I need to think about? when I'm securing my private keys. That is probably the worst thing in cryptography, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> okay, Because got it. It, it's just so difficult, it, especially for me, you think from a website perspective, I'm pretty comfortable with the public key description I gave you before. If all I have is my public key, I can host that on my web server. That will never expose something that I encrypted. Yeah. Somebody could own that box, but I, I use this public key there because I, it's not a secret key. I don't, I don't love secrets on a box that I know can be completely owned by somebody else. Yeah, yeah. The, the only real answers, I mean, there's, again, obvious things not to do. Don't store your password in the code because right. it's going to end up in source control. True. Um, even in .NET, it gets built into an assembly. You just use ILDASM, and it will kick back all the strings that people have hard-coded. So never in source code. Yeah. And then depending on what system you're in, again, there's trade-offs. Uh, Azure has a key vault. Mm-hmm. So does Amazon. Yep. Uh, are they perfect? You know, you need a web server that you think could be compromised, have the ability to call into something and get keys out of it. So yeah. it, it can't ever be perfect. But again, there's some obvious things not to do. And then depending on what your platform is, you want to see how does this platform support my ability to make it safer than it was. So back years ago, ASP.NET Web Forms, you could encrypt portions of your config file. So that that was good. It didn't end up in source control. Uh, The problem was at some point your page needs that secret. Right, you have to be able to have your web page code right. reach in and pull it out. So a developer could technically cheat. It's it's good, right? It's average people can't read a config file. It's not going to be in a, a repo somewhere, but there's still risks. You just got to think through, do the threat modeling, and again, do the best that you can given your situation. But it, it's honestly, to me, the worst part of cryptography is how do you manage secrets on a on a web server like that is really difficult. Okay, so there's one topic we haven't gotten back to yet, which is hashing um, yes. and when to use hashing functions. Um, uh, give us give us a bit on that. Yep. So originally the use of hashing, so the people who created Unix years ago said we need to store passwords somehow, and they were looking at encryption. That was kind of the natural thing to do at that point. Right. And they said, well, the way hashing works, it's a one-way function. So if you compute a hash, there's no way to reverse it. It should be impossible to reverse if it's a cryptographically strong hashing algorithm. Got so it. what they said is we'll take the password as they type it in, we'll hash it and store the hash in the Etsy password file. And they were so confident this would work, they actually <laughs> let you, anybody on the system can read the Etsy password file. So you can see everybody's hashed passwords. 
Right. You can see where this is going. I remember this. Uh, I remember this. What could right. go wrong? Um, truly. So what they, they hadn't thought through the threat modeling. And the problem is people don't try to reverse the hash. Instead, they take a, back then it was a dictionary. They would hash every word in the dictionary. So they would have Apple, what it hashes to. Now they can compare all the hashes to the password file and get back and figure out that it's Apple. They didn't reverse the hashing. Right. They pre-guessed what your password might be. So now uh, there's also a lot of breached lists. So websites that have been breached, they take all the passwords that were exposed. And like Troy Hunt has this via an API. Yep. Other places like that have these password lists. Hackers love them because they're going to create um, pre-calculated hashed versions of all of these common passwords so they can just go attack these password files. And again, they didn't break hashing. They just didn't anticipate how people would attack it. So recently with passwords, people use ones that have what's called a work factor. In Got other it. words, you make hashing be intentionally slow. So okay. again, I'm a web developer. I will say I'm a, I'm willing to have my customers wait a half a second for that to hash their password. Okay, it slows them down a little, but now you look at the attacker. Now they have to pre-calculate every password they want to guess. It takes a half a second. So it suddenly becomes computationally difficult for them to attack using a technique like that because of these work factors like bcrypt and pbk, df2, in.net, those kinds of things. The other thing we use hashing for a lot is integrity. So a good example, I'm sure you've been to websites that have, here's the URL on the end, it has customer equals one, two, three. And you think, wow, I can probably go change that to one, two, four, because it's probably a sequential customer number and see someone else's data. I created what you call tamper-proof query strings. So I take your query, your URL, I hash it, I append that on to the end of the URL so that now I give it to you as a client. If you try to manipulate one of those query string parameters, the hash won't compute when you come back to the server. So I've essentially made it, I don't care if you see what this value is, it's not an encryption. I just don't want you to be able to modify it. Got it. So those are two big areas where you could take advantage of hashing. Okay. Okay. That's great. Um, are there other topic, topics in cryptography that I'm not smart enough to know to ask you about that we <laughs> should cover in, in, a, in a development best practices podcast about cryptography? Are there topics I, we've missed? I think random numbers is random numbers. one of the best ones. Okay. Tell me okay. about random numbers. So if I want to create a random key to use for encryption, which I do want to do. So I want to use AES symmetric encryption. I need to have a key, 256 bits of random data. The problem is computers aren't really random, right? Mm. I mean, they're programmed to do specific things. And so the issue is most languages have a random library. So if you just go into .NET, there's a math.random. You say, I want a number between one and 100, whatever. The problem is it's not really that random. You know, they've tested it and they're not as random as they say. You need to make sure you use what's called a um, cryptographically strong random number generator. Okay. So each and I can platform, find that and I can find that on George's blog, right? Uh, oh, George no. might, yeah, he might talk okay. about it. I okay. he probably okay. wrote okay. one, right? <laughs> okay. So in Got .NET it. 6, it. okay. it's just called random number generator. It's still not got it. perfect. 
uh, but it's much better. So one of the, if you're familiar with Cloudflare, is yes. a major internet provider. Yes. They actually have a wall of lava lamps hmm. in California. And when they need to generate some random data, they're reaching outside of the computer system into the real world. So yes. it's cool. They take a picture of all of the current state of these lava lamps. Now they have some random, truly not within the computer data to use <laughs> to get a random number because cryptography, unfortunately, being random matters. And so if you don't have a good random key, all of your stuff is suspect. And I just thought that was a cool example of oh, it is. outside it is. of I'm computers. Trying- I'm trying to figure out how to hack the how to hack the lava lamps. I mean, because that could be, you know, that's your uh, that's, that, your, that's your attack the vector there. Fire. Right there, we go. Well, that's great. Oh, very. But cool. yeah, random numbers. It's important, and make sure you use a cryptographically strong one in each language or framework. Search for that because that otherwise it won't truly be random. Yeah. No. No. My my best truly random number generator or random generator in general is to ask my wife how she's feeling on any given day, and it is completely random. I have no <laughs> idea what she's feeling. I'm sorry. There's that dad joke I warned you about, Robert. Um, yes. So they just they keep coming, um, and uh, our podcast listeners keep growing. I. I assume it I it has nothing to do with the um the dad jokes, everything to do with great content. Um so what anything else? So we talked about random isn't random, we talked about lava lamps, we talked about various types of keys. Anything else we should cover? Yeah, I think the only other major pillar was the digital signatures. Okay. And that's really okay. digital signatures and in my talk I kind of throw everything in one big talk. I have a, a contract I want to send to you. You take the contract, you hash it so that you get a hash value so that you can tell the contract hasn't been tampered with. That's the first step. Got it. A digital signature is a strange twist on asymmetric. The keys are inverses of each other. So now instead of when I need to sign it, I'll sign it with my private key. Got it. You have my public. So you can prove using my trusted public that I'm the one who signed it because I'm the only one who has that private key. So that's the idea with digital signatures. And then I usually throw in confidentiality. So I usually encrypt it so that people can't read it. Then you hash it to make sure it hasn't been modified. Then you use asymmetric with your private key and you sign it and you send it off. And during the demos, what is always, it comes back to George and why write your own code that you write or that you use in .NET or any framework, if it's a good framework, is very small. I mean, the digital signature thing I just explained is probably a page in Visual Studio to do a lot of stuff. I mean, you've done a, you've added a lot of security to that whole process without a lot of code by using trusted, vetted, you know, good libraries. Got it. Got it. Well, cool. Well, um, in the show notes, we're going to link to a couple things. We talked briefly about Troy Hunt's awesome site and API, but the site you can go to, I believe it's called Have I Been Pwned? Dot com and I may be mispronouncing that. Um, so, but I'll include that in the show notes because it's a really great resource to figure out uh, which of your passwords, because your passwords have been hacked. Um, it's the question of which of your passwords have been hacked. Um, and also uh, which of your email addresses you can search that way as well and usernames. So that's that's very helpful. We will also link directly to Robert's full video 
on Cryptography 101. If you want to get just Robert and not me, that is an option. I won't be offended at all. <laughs> Though, uh, honestly, if you're getting this far in the podcast, you probably you probably have already listened to uh, me enough. So, um, so that's a good thing. We will not be linking to George's blog. Um, so you. just I want to be very clear, George, sorry. Um, so we'll, we'll get you. I actually have a pug named George and I'm sure he's upstairs being very upset with me. So it's all good. So, all right, great. Well, Robert, this is outstanding. I, uh, I thank you very much for being on the podcast today and sharing your wealth of knowledge, uh, with our different folks, um, folks, um, Provided I haven't offended Robert in some way, shape, or form, I hope to have Robert back here very, very soon. And if you want to see Robert again, while I'm dating this podcast, this doesn't make it much evergreen. Just come to whichever Minnesota Developers Conference is nearest um, to the time you listen to this podcast. Um, so please, um, so that will be, you can see Robert in, in full action. So, all right, great. Well, thank you, Robert. Have yourself a great day. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You as well. And that's a wrap on our three-part series on cryptography. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. The Development Best Practices Podcast is brought to you by ILM Professional Services. Do you want to go to a conference just packed with other best practices? Please join me at the Minnesota Developers Conference, where speakers like Robert Bodenheimer, Matt Milner, and Kamran Ayub talk about development concepts that can help you today. It's next week on June 22nd, right here in the Twin Cities. And you can find out more at mndevconf.com. Finally, if you like what you heard in this series, please tell a friend about us. If you have any feedback on this episode or have a topic you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at ilmservice.com. Take care.